Hello, Lion Cook Nation. This is Ray Deluci with the Lion Cook Thoughts Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Welcome back to another episode of the show, episode 204. Where in today's episode, we'll be looking at um, the Mr. Beast uh, Ghost Kitchen lawsuit, uh, some AI advancements in food, and more so recipe development and general themes um, and ideas that have been on my mind recently regarding the food industry. Before we begin, just wanted to try out a new... Um, kind of content piece where in solo episodes, I do want to cover more of what's going on in the food industry. I know we I've really enjoyed over the last almost five years discussing themes and topics and ideas, but I do want to also have some relevancy in what's going on in the modern industry. So that's my podcast. So a podcast where you're going to start to focus on more. It's not going to all be modern stuff. There'll be like obviously some um, theory, on, theory on food and uh, um, more so general concepts that I want to discuss, but I do want to blend both because I do really love staying up to date with current uh, trends and ideas and so i really hope you'll enjoy this and let me know what you think if you're listening on apple or spotify please leave a, a review and ask review is all i ask it helps me get traction uh, find new listeners if you like the show and just lets me know what you think of the show so feel free to leave a review on apple or spotify also if you know someone that is in the food industry that could use a podcast like this please send this to them one last thing every monday morning i put out the items newsletter it is a weekly newsletter that goes out to people in the food industry, and it's all things that I find throughout the week. In- interesting points of data on the restaurant industry, on the food industry, uh, gear, tips, uh, anything else that might be relevant to someone in food, I put in the newsletter and I share it every Sunday morning. So go sign up at LionCookThoughts.com, put your email in, and hit subscribe. I hope you all enjoyed today's solo podcast, and here we go. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So starting out with the Mr. Beast Burger story and then going into AI in general, uh, when I reported or I did a Mr. Beast Burger review a few months ago and um, I really was interested in the the longevity of Mr. Beast Burger and kind of the way he, that he as a, as a YouTuber, as an influencer and obviously him as, a, as an entity was able to um, amass such a such a following uh just how many people like went and bought burgers and how he was like it was i think he had like more locations than applebee's or something like that at the time and just the general success of the chain of burgers that he was running and for those of you who don't know mr beast is a youtube personality i don't watch much of his content but he is extremely popular probably one of the biggest youtubers if not the biggest youtube star on the platform and he is someone who you know is pretty business savvy he's obviously doing very well for himself and he has a lot of going on in terms of content creation and whatnot you know someone that i've had on the show before who i really enjoy his work ryan peters he was recently he recently did something with uh, mr beast burger and it was really awesome you should go check that out go check out uh at peters pasta on instagram or tiktok i love his account um but more so going into mr beast 
I was very interested in, in doing a food review because I wanted to kind of see what the burger was like and see what um, I would get out of it and also why it was so popular. And I remember when I did the review, I'm pretty sure I gave them average scores of like six or five for like the burger and the fries or maybe it was six or seven. And it, they were just like, it was like average to above average. It was fine. It, it, it fit a burger craving. It, it filled something that I was looking for. And I was very interested in then going and reading reviews because I really didn't want to read too much into the reviews before I tried it and seeing that in different areas, a lot of people hated uh, Mr. Beast Burger. You know, I think uh, like the H3 podcast even mentioned that it was like the worst burger he's ever had. And I think this is a general um, trend when it comes to ghost kitchens that we're starting to see, or at least we can see it at a large scale at Mr. Beast Burger. And it's this lack of consistency and quality when you're spread so thin across so many different regions. And before we get into kind of what is going on with Mr. Beast in the lawsuit, it's more so interesting that, you know, this company, Virtual Dining Concepts, is a company that basically uh, managed operations for Mr. Beast Burger and Mr. Beast himself. You see the change in uh, quality throughout the country. And as a, you know, you look at a general restaurant, it, you open a restaurant, maybe five years later, you open your second one if you're still open. And to then to go and see someone open one, two, hundreds, like in such rapid, at such a rapid rate, you grow to a, so quickly to a point that it's like, do you have the systems in place? Do you have the um, ability to train staff in place? Do you have the ability to make sure food quality is consistent? Do you have the ability regionally from store to store where you're offering to ensure that every customer that orders a Mr. Beast Burger gets one that is delicious, that is representative of what you're selling, and that is something that is to, you know, be craved for and bought? And that was not the case with Mr. Beast Burger, as you can see. And we know this because Mr. Beast, uh, last week, uh, filed a lawsuit against Virtual Dining Concepts, suing the Ghost Kitchen partner over inedible food. So, this is the Washington Post. I'm reading from, I'm going to post two links. The first, the breaking lawsuit on Mr. Beast uh, suing the Virtual Dining Concepts, and then the, I guess other lawsuit back at Mr. Beast from that company. Um, but basically, he filed a lawsuit uh, basically stating um, he was looking to end the partnership with Virtual Dining Concepts, is quoting from the article, saying the negative reviews online from customers are harming his reputation. In the virtual, virtual Dining Concepts model, existing restaurants and other commercial kitchens can produce food branded under various names and offer them for delivery alongside their own menus, giving a portion of the sales revenue to the company. In the filing, Donaldson accuses the company of breach of contract and is also asking for a review of the accounting for his brand, claiming that although Virtual Dining Concepts established 1,700 locations serving Mr. Beast Burger since 2020, Donaldson has not earned a dime from the arrangement. Plaintiff has not yet received any profit share from the business since its inception almost three years ago and does not have access to the relevant books and records of the business. The lawsuit states he's asking for undetermined compensations and damages. It was all from the Washington Post. I'm going to continue a little bit further. In response to a request for comment, Virtual Dining Concepts sent the Washington Post a statement saying Donaldson's lawsuit is riddled with false statements and inaccuracies. And the company said it takes quality very seriously and the customers who complained about bad experiences represent a very small minority. It is also suggested that his complaint was prompted by a business dispute. We don't have to get further into that. You can read the whole uh, article at the Washington Post and other news outlets. I will share the Washington Post 
because it's free to, to read, at least in my browser, and you can check it out. So that being said, you have Mr. Beast, you have the, the idea of a influencer getting into the restaurant industry, which, you know, we all can chuckle at because it's freaking hard. And then things not going well, food not being great and quality not being good. Like I said, I will be honest in saying that the burger and fries I got were generic burgers. They weren't like terribly disgusting. They were, it, but it, was, it didn't blow my mind either. Um, there were some things I liked about it. There's some ideas I liked about it. I think uh, it might have had like a, a whole grain mustard on it or something that I that I did enjoy. I thought that was an interesting concept um, to have a mass burger have not just yellow mustard, but overall it was just an average burger. And so. Um, but I thought it was creative, too. I did really think that it was creative that an influencer was going out there and trying their hand at food. And I was really interested to see where it goes because the success or the so-called success financially, or at least you would think financially of this, would be insane. I mean, 1,700 locations in not even three years and the amount of uh, food they've sold. I mean, it's it's truly insane when you think about how much revenue at least came in from these burgers you know when they first launched there was lines for miles waiting to get this burger of course this capitalized during the covid pandemic and during um everyone staying in and so this was felt like an event but still years later there was still so so much going on and so when it comes to food and when it comes to um being in the food industry it's super interesting to see this lawsuit and it's super interesting to see where it goes and why I'm interested in this. I'm not really interested in it because it's Mr. Beast. I'm not really interested in, um, honestly, I'm not really interested. I don't have like a case for either one who wins or loses. It's not anything like that. But I do think this will help dictate how the future of ghost kitchens and food that you're not a part of continues. Um, I think that it's uh, really important that we follow this because this could dictate the liability ghost kitchens have on representing a brand. This could dictate the types of deals and partnerships um, that influencers get into with food companies or food industry companies um, in the future. And it can have implications on what exactly is expected of an influencer and a food company when they're coming together to serve a product that have both their names on it. Obviously more so Mr. Beast than virtual dining concepts and the fact that people will recognize Mr. Beast more as the name brand recognition. So that being said, I find it very fascinating. And so this last week, um, in response to the lawsuit, uh, the partner, Virtual Dining Concepts, um, sued Mr. Beast and is basically saying, uh, hey, like you're defrauding us, you're defaming the brand. What the heck's going on? So it's very interesting to see. I'm very interested to follow up. I do plan on making a follow-up podcast whenever this is done. Um, but it, it's crazy. And then, you know, one thing I do want to point out, and one thing I find interesting is the negative reviews. You know, a response from uh, VDC, Virtual Dining Concepts. I'm going to start calling them VDC for brevity. At this point, as they say that uh, a small percentage of the uh, complaints don't weigh out to like the large amount of people who bought the food. And I find that interesting because if you've worked in the restaurant industry, you'll know that usually the only people that are going to leave a review are those extremely passionate on either end, whether they love it or they hate it. So I don't really know how much of a defense that is. I'm obviously not in any sort of legal um, mindset or I don't have any legal training, but just from a restaurant tour standpoint, um, 
most people, you know, you pay money, you get a burger, you get it through Uber Eats, like, you're probably not thinking that much of that meal. And it's like, it is what it is. But those people that really got bad experiences, then obviously they're going to say something. So what do we learn from this? We learn A, that food is hard. Food is extremely difficult. Food will always be extremely difficult. It is something that is very, very, very hard to maneuver and manage. It's not like a product that you can just like make a mass amount of and sell. You know, it's not like a phone. It's not like it wasn't like Mr. Beast made like an action figure. He made like a sticker or something like food is delicate. Food is time limited. And it is something that is very much in the moment and has to be executed correctly on over and over and over again. And a defect maybe in a phone might not ruin the entire phone. You might be able to get past certain things. But a defect in a meal, a.k.a. tasting terrible, ruins the entire experience. And so when we look at food and we look at these new entrepreneurs coming in and we look at influencers coming in, I think there's a lesson to be learned from that. And that is the case that you can't treat food like everything else that you ever treated in your business models. Uh, food is different. Um, when you go into the realm of food, you talk about the safety, first off, the safety of uh, people dining and eating and consuming the product you're putting out. You have to think about consistent quality and what does that come with? Training, oversight, methods, um, consistently managing, making sure your ingredient sourcing is correct, making sure you're getting correct pricing, making sure you're making a profit, making sure that you can employ people fairly, and all these different things. And so when we think about food and when I think about this, it was surprising to see, um, but it's also very interesting because I really think we're in an unprecedented era of ghost kitchens. And when you think of what a ghost kitchen is and how it can operate, you know, virtual dining concepts, that can be operated out of any sorts of locations. So, for like, uh, one restaurant that's serving food to their community could also be doing that on the side and have a completely different um, frame of mind than the restaurant two counties over that's you know, a different cuisine, uh, different meal type, different standards compared to a space that is ghost kitchen dedicated. Those kitchens do exist where it's all just different ghost kitchen hubs coming out of the same spot. Instead of having one menu, you have a menu out of different, many different brands. So I think that there's, there's an inherent flaw in the ghost kitchen model. And I know this has been talked about, but the idea that, uh, you can't control quality or you only have so much you can control with quality. And when you have so many different players in these spaces making so many different foods with their own specs, their own ingredients, and everything else, how do you manage that? I would love to know how Virtual Dining Concepts manages their different partners, how they manage the people, the establishments, the businesses that um, make the food that they sell. I would love to understand how that works because that would probably be such an insane amount of high-level management. And then how do you manage a business that, that's its own? You know, how do you go in and tell a chef of a restaurant that's been doing things, hey, you're not meeting our burger spec, uh, can you please make this better? Like, how does that work? So, all this to say, it's very interesting, and I'm very, very interested to see where it goes. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I think overall, the, I, it was super, super impressive um, how rapidly they were able to... Um, expand how rapidly they were able to uh just just like you know keep moving forward and keep like a thousand seven hundred locations like that's insane and so for me it's just uh it, it really is staggering you know there's a blog and i'm going to share this as well this is uh this is a mrbeastburger.io 
Um, and the Mr. Beast, it says here, Mr. Beast's virtual restaurant has generated over $150 million in revenue. Um, so, I, you know, it, it, that was posted on January 2nd of 2023. I'm sure it's grown. I'm, I'm sure it's all interesting. And I really wonder moving forward what it's going to be like. I really do wonder. When COVID happened, obviously takeout and ghost kitchens were insanely popular and, th- and a lot of different things happened with them. Um, and for me, you know, there was always a struggle of like of customer safety at the time versus like the idea that we're making food automated and we're making food conglomerated into these different things. And, you know, where, where do restaurants stand and all of that? But you see this failure to deliver at a large scale on one side, at least one side of the lawsuit, and a failure to represent someone in, a, in the correct way of serving good food. And on the other side, you have a company that's saying, hey, like, this is just the restaurant industry, like, you know, deal with it. I really wonder who's in the right, who's in the wrong, and, like, what is next? What is next for this story? So, if you are at all interested in chatting about this, email, email me at lionclickthoughts.outlook.com, leave a review of this podcast, send me a DM at, at lionclickthoughts on Instagram, and I'd love to hear your take on it. The next thing I wanted to talk about is AI generation of um, recipes. So recently I shared on my newsletter, which you can go to lionclickthoughts.com and uh, put your email in. Uh, So there's a taco uh, group. There's a restaurant group called Velvet Taco. They actually have some out here in Chicago where I'm based. I actually do enjoy going there once in a while. I think they have some fun tacos to to eat. Um, I've been there, I think, like four times and... I don't know, whenever, whenever I go down to, uh, down into the city of Chicago and I need something really quick, it usually, I try to go to Al Cheval all the time in Chicago. It's always busy and Velvet Tacos like right there. So whenever I can't get into Al Cheval, I just grab a taco and keep on with my day a little bit sad, but um, happy because tacos, of course. But this is coming out of NBCDFW.com. Uh, I will share this link as well. Velvet Taco presents Chat GP Taco, creating created using AI. This was published back on July 12th of 2023. I just haven't had the time on the podcast to talk about it yet, but interested to hear your thoughts. And so this is what the, uh, some of what the article says, and I quote, uh, this taco might change your mind about artificial intelligence. Dallas staple Velvet Taco is debuting a taco this week whose recipe was created through ChatGPT. Taco that was available July 12th to the 25th is part of the restaurant's weekly taco feature. Chef Venicia Willis, Velvet Taco's Director of Culinary, began using ChatGPT to help her build a presentation for a tasting class and ended up with her feeding the program with Velvet Taco ingredients and asking it to create new tacos. It spit out four different tacos, Willis said, and so the next step for us was sitting down and tasting them. At the Velvet Taco Innovation Sessions, a team of chefs taste weekly taco features for the upcoming quarter. This time they were using some of ChatGPT's creations. And the taco that they created was a taco featuring flank steak, shrimp, red chili aioli, chimichurri, grilled onion, queso fresco, and crispy crispy potatoes on a corn tortilla. Wills does say that some ingredients it returned didn't work well. One featured crispy tofu, red coconut curry, and pineapple, which is interesting. I would still probably try that because I love... um, those ingredients. Uh, but the language model also took a liking to sliced jalapenos, adding it to a few of its recipes well set. And so, yeah, a chef, a culinary director of a restaurant group, um, 
using ChatGPT to create recipes. And I know that your jerk reaction is probably going to be like, no, stop, don't do this. But as I talked about with Andre Natera, as I've talked about on this podcast before, AI is here and it is coming for the restaurant industry in different ways. And for me, it's very interesting to look at uh, places and businesses like this utilizing it, almost utilizing it in a way that's like marketing, like capitalizing on the fact that AI is here. Let's do something new, fun and creative and share it with the um, rest of the world or the rest of the area uh, that the restaurant is in. And I find it very interesting for a couple of reasons. One. I think that there is a lot of potential in AI for cooks and chefs in terms of re in recipe creation, but not for maybe what you think I'm going to say. I think that AI can be used in a very productive way to gather information that would take a very long time to get on your own. For example, needing in, uh, certain ingredients for a certain cuisine type, trying to figure out what is authentic to a certain cuisine type, uh, trying to figure out how or, or why things react or cook in the way they do. You have a tool, ChatGPT, if you get it on your phone, that can pretty much answer any question for you uh, that you put into it. And so using this quick and efficient way of getting information while doing recipe development, while working on the line, while trying out something new, I think would be super helpful and super informative for you to use. And so when we talk about ChatGPT Taco, yes, they use ChatGPT to make this ingredient, make this um, menu item, but I think that it, used in other different applications, the actual wealth of knowledge that you get from a chat GPT or a language learning model is super valuable to you. And so just an idea, if you have the, the app on your phone, um, it, use it as a database center. Use it as something that you can pull from and use and help you. It, helps, it can help you uh, speed up your creative process and helps you uh, just understand uh, more in depth what is going on with um, with AI and like what you what you need help with. You know, you might be stuck on a recipe and you could just maybe ask it a question to help, you know, give you some new ideas. Give me ideas for what to do with um, butternut squash and then it can throw some stuff out to you. Uh, ask it what happens if I mix, um, you know, lemon juice with yogurt or lemon juice with a cheese or anything like that like, and what reactions happen. Um, what are the flavor affinities with basil. Uh, what are some ingredients that can go with basil that are really profound? Um, and then you can maybe ask it, what are some like ingredients that go well with basil that aren't commonly used? All these different things can be done and used through ChatGPT. And I do worry about AI and displacement in the food industry. Uh, it is something that is going to have a large effect on all industries moving forward. It already is having that effect and it will not be stopping anytime soon. But I do think as culinary professionals, people in the food industry, it's super important that we have a basic understanding of what AI is, how it's used, and how it can benefit us. I think that shutting it out completely is not a good idea because, because people will use it and it's going to be used in certain ways. And so I think getting comfortable with it, understanding it, knowing how to use it, and using it for any advantage that you can have as a chef, as a cook, as, some, as a food industry professional, I think that's super relevant and super valuable to you. Now, second point on this. AI as something that is going to be used as a marketing tool or to sell product or menu items. I think that's a very interesting uh, idea, and I wonder if this will be adopted by other uh, companies or brands moving forward. I think a big uh, part of AI is the idea that it's so new to us that it's like, ooh, well, like, it's like the discovery factor of what can it do. And so I'm very interested in seeing how brands and restaurants, local restaurants, um, restaurant groups like Velvet Taco and other businesses use it. 
I do want to say, though, that I do think that there has to be a very cautious way of going about this. And I think there has to be a very, very high um, value placed on the men and women and food in general. I think as we venture into AI, it's more important now than ever to recognize that so many people, so many hands, so much effort goes into making what food is, um, what makes food so good happens because so many people dedicate their time and their lives to doing it. Um, and I'm not just talking in Michelin star restaurants or fine dining concepts. I'm talking about in fast food and food manufacturing and so on and so forth. Um, so many people, so many hands go into producing food, and especially in restaurants. And when you have um, systems coming into place that are very, very evolved, like making recipe ideas or you know making new menu items for a restaurant, you, there still is a need for those people in the back of the house to be there to prepare that food. There still is a need for people to execute on that, to taste it, to make sure that it's okay and that it's good. And so I, I really want to just say, you know, when you think of restaurant workers, when we think about food industry workers as a whole, it's very important that we recognize that there's still so much that is just needed from people in the food world and that AI is not a solve. And I don't think AI is going to be something that displaces many people right now. It could have that potential in the future, obviously. And we've talked about different ways it could do that. We've also talked about on this podcast different ways that it could be helpful and actually be advantageous to people in the food world. So I'm very interested, interested to see where it goes, but I think, and the reason I do this page and the reason why I share people on my Instagram is because people in food are super important, super, people in food are super valuable, and they're super needed. And I find it very, very important that we keep on understanding that that's the case and that people in this industry do deserve um, you know, transparency and how AI is being used, transparency and what it's going to be placed in and so on and so forth. Last little thing I noticed, uh, which I found very interesting. So there is a, so I was reading about more so how artificial intelligence would be used in different ways, not just recipe development, but a big part of this has been online ordering. Um, I know um, DoorDash is looking at like an AI uh, bot, chat bot for their, uh, for their um, online ordering itself or how they use their interface, how you would order online. I don't really use the apps that much, so I'm not too, too familiar with them. Um, but I went to Panera Pride yesterday. This is post a jiu-jitsu class. I know this is really interesting stuff. but So I left jiu-jitsu. I wanted to get a smoothie. I went to a Panera Bread, and they had a drive through and I, I don't go to Panera often. I've, I've moved out here in December, and I think I've went once. Um, to get a mango smoothie or whatever smoothie flavors they have. But I went to Panera Bread yesterday. I went to go through the drive-thru, and their drive-thru was closed. And all it was now, all it is, is a pickup-only um, order lane, like an only pickup order lane that you can go in and uh, just get your food from. Like you place the order on the app or online, and that drive-thru that used to be so full service is now just for picking up orders. And so I did some research uh, last night and today before doing the podcast, and a lot of, um, I won't say a lot, but this, this idea of these restaurants turning into hubs of, uh, for drivers to come pick up food, from people in the app to come pick up food and place it, and then having the dining room be still the dining room, but the drive-thru kind of going away, I found it very interesting for a couple of reasons. If you don't have a drive-thru, okay, well, first, I was in jiu-jitsu gear, so I wasn't walking into Panera Bread, so... That was off the table for me. But if you don't have a drive-thru and you have people coming up wanting your product, you have to walk into the dining room now. That's super interesting. 
taking away drive-throughs and taking away the option to go through a drive-through, I thought was very fascinating. And I was like, I mean, obviously they're think it's a good business decision, but wow, what a what a what a crazy thing to do. Second, having things be online order, still having this pickup um, tool and looking at to-go concepts. I think it's very interesting to see how to-go is evolving. Um, you know, I, we, we look at QR codes disappearing and people getting back to eating out in person. And, you know, the National Restaurant Association was saying they shared a report for June and I'm waiting to see on July, like how restaurant spending is staying steady or slightly increasing. And so restaurants are just a lot of people still dining out. Um, it's interesting to see how these bigger companies and brands are viewing it. And I really do think that throughout COVID and throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, we lost a lot of that in-person dining. And I think now there is a lot of craving that. There's a lot of people that want to dine in, that want to sit down, that want to enjoy the restaurant experience. And so I think I'd like to see over the next couple of years how artificial intelligence and automatic systems are used to streamline dining um, in restaurants and in local restaurants and how we um, view food. You know, is takeout always going to be offered um, in the way it's offered now, are there going to be different hubs for it? Are you going to have your dining room kitchen here, but you're going to have your takeout somewhere else and it not be in the same building? Um, so many different questions, so many different ideas. And I don't have any answers and I don't have any um, pressing thoughts on the matter besides the fact that I went to go through a drive-thru yesterday and had been converted into a pickup order to-go order only lane. And I would love to hear your thoughts on it and if you've experienced it and if I'm just maybe living under a rock and this has been a thing for a while. But I found it fascinating, and I was looking up that this is a big part of what is going on. So that being said, that is all I wanted to cover today. I do want to say thank you all again. Do have some interviews coming up. Do have more solo episodes coming up. Uh, and still trying to hit this once-a-week schedule. Uh, it's just been a really busy period in my life. And I wanted to give a final little update on the podcast before heading out. Nothing, you know, we talked about content in the beginning. I want to start covering more new stories. I wanted to keep this one to 30 minutes. Would love to hear your thoughts on this kind of new type of uh, format. But that being said, um, this podcast is something I love doing, uh, but life has just been really busy lately. So I do apologize for those who tune in every week because it hasn't been in a weekly cadence perfectly for the last few months. And so I just wanted to say thank you all for listening. Thank you all for tuning in. I thank you for sending me messages saying you would enjoy the podcast and I still look forward to doing it. I still am enjoying doing it. It has just been a crazy, crazy summer, a lot going on in my personal life. All good things, all good things, nothing bad, but still a lot going on. And this podcast is a passion project of mine. It is something that I really only focus on for enjoyment and fun and being able to talk to you all. So just thank you all so much for being a great audience, for tuning in, for sharing the show, and for always being there. That is today's episode. Thank you all so much. Before you go, just a friendly reminder that the Lion Cook Thoughts podcast is on all major podcasting platforms. You are listening to it right now on one of them. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, it would be an awesome, awesome favor of me to ask of you to leave a review. An honest review is all I ask. It helps me get traction, lets me know what you think of the show, and it lets me build an audience. So please leave a review. Also, if you are looking to get a newsletter for all things food, go to lioncookthoughts.com, put in your email, hit subscribe, and you will get the prep list items newsletter sent out every Monday 
to your email inbox. Thank you all so much for listening. I really enjoyed doing this episode. Hope you all enjoyed it. Let me know what you think, and I will see you on the next Line Clubhouse podcast. Also, if you have tried Mr. Beast Burger or you plan on, uh, I don't even know if you can try it. I'm assuming they probably pulled it. If you've tried Mr. Beast Burger and you've had any good or bad experiences, any thoughts on that whole situation, let me know, and I will see you on the next Line Clubhouse podcast.